right, so we are going to be continuing our study of the book of Joshua. Today makes 127 messages. We are in Joshua 21. We will be in verse 27 today starting. But before we get there, you guys know I love a good review. review. Yes. So Joshua 21, verses 20 through 26, last week that message was called A Labor of Love. And what we did in that message is we really looked into the story of the Kohathites. We had been dealing with the Aaronites the week before that, but then last week we started dealing with those Kohathites that remained. What we need to remember is Joshua 21 is chronicling for us the distribution of rewards, cities that were rewarded to the Levites for their faithful service to God. So as we did, we went through the Aaronites, as I said. Then we switched last week to a specific subset that were those Kohathites that remain. That's how they're referenced in Scripture. And though we know very little about them individually, what we do know is that they were faithful to do their job. They had Levitical responsibilities. And what we saw in them was an aspect of selflessness. They served God virtually anonymously and literally did so at great risk. The challenge to us, right, is to search our hearts in our service, right? We looked at Colossians 3.23. It says, and whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Why do we do what we do? Is our service to God, is it truly from a place of selflessness? Or is it maybe potentially tainted by selfish motivations, okay? This is something we have to regularly deal with because guess what? Our flesh loves to get credit, Right? Then we considered from their service what specifically their job was, what it was that they specifically did. The Kohathites that remained were entrusted with moving the most holy objects. These were the implements, the, the, the showbread table, the, the ark, all those things that were inside of the tabernacle. They were entrusted with moving these things. They were to take this as a personal responsibility. Now, each one of the things that they moved had the power, if they would have only touched it, to kill them on the spot. So in doing their job, they were literally risking their lives. And what we saw was the fact that they were actually supposed to bear their burden upon their shoulders, right? Upon their shoulders. And it was very interesting in recognizing the fact that in doing their job, they were literally, every time they did it, putting their lives on the line. And it was revealing to us the heart behind their service, right? A willingness. What was their attitude? Their attitude was, hey, listen, you know what? We value God more than we value our own, our own lives. And this is a motivation that you and I should look at, right? What is most important in our lives? What is the treasure of our life? What do we personally live for? As, 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 uh, as Eric, I'm sorry, I forgot his name for a minute. Um, <laughs> that guy over there. Um, as Eric mentioned, you know, in John 15, 13, it says, you know, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend, right? This is the picture. What drove them to do what they did was love, right? It's love that drove our Savior. It's love, right? It's always that love for others. And this is the thread that we find that's always the case. It was love for others that drove the Lord to the cross. It's a love for others that causes believers to risk their lives, to put themselves on the line and stand against the opposition and put everything out there to share the truth of God's word. And so we see the motivations. We see the desires that were, were reflected to us in those, in those Kohathites that remained. And then what we're going to do today is we're going to transition over to the next group of Levites. But as we do this, understand we have witnessed already in the last few messages, we've seen examples of selflessness. We have seen examples of sacrificial service unto the Lord, certainly in the sons of Aaron and the, and the Kohathites that remain. And what's happened is they've caused us to reevaluate our motivations. 
right? This is what the, the hope, right? Preaching's not just to teach you. I'm just not here to share with you information so you go, okay, great. Now I know about the Kohathites. So check that off and move on to the next group. That's not what this is about, right. right? It's supposed to motivate us to be different. These are examples for us to learn from. God needs to speak to our hearts and grip us to change who we are. Because if we're not careful, we will fall into a pattern of indecision. We'll fall into a pattern of inactivity. We'll fall into a pattern of malaise. Because guess what? By nature, we're lazy, right? We're lazy by nature. So we need to be challenged. So coming to church is important because of that case that we do get challenged. But we look at our motivations. Well, today, God's going to continue to challenge us in our motivations. We're going to see it from a different perspective. This morning, we're going to look at the Gershonites. And as we get to learn about them, understand What's key about these guys? Again, this is all about rewards being given for faithfulness. This is rewards being given for people that have done their jobs. And what we see is to give us a quick reminder of who the Gershonites are, because I know that's a weird name, and you go, who are those dudes? The Levites, right, which is what this is all about. The Levites were the people that were committed unto God. God consecrated them for service unto him. The Levites, Levi was his name. Levi had sons. Genesis 46, 11 says this, and the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And so for the last two weeks, what we've done is we've addressed the descendants of Kohath. That's done. So now we're moving to this clan, these sons of Gershon, these children of Gershon, these Gershonites. And our message this morning is titled, A Display of Holiness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this amazing time to gather around the truth of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the prophetic and deep things that you teach us from the word. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us insight through your spirit to see and understand the word of God, Lord, where others can look and see nothing. God, we can see the most rich and most amazing things in the world. So God, I do pray that you just help me today to get out of the way. Lord, I know you have spoken to me. I'm confident of that. I absolutely know you have. Lord, I know that uh, my problem is that many times I get in the way. So Lord, I'm asking you to just please remove my own sense of uh, nervousness or whatever else, God. Just remove me from the equation. And God, I pray that you would speak mightily to our hearts, that, Lord, today we would truly be changed. God, challenge us to be better. Challenge us, Lord Jesus, to have ears to hear, that we might make a difference in this world. For Jesus' sake, for the glory's sake, for the gospel's sake, thank you for loving us. and Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua 21, verses 27 through 33. Again, this is some dry material. Just bear with me as I read it. And under the children of Gershon, of the families of Levites, out of the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan in Bashan with her suburbs and a city as a, to be a city of refuge for the slayer, and Bish-Terah, that's a neat one, with her suburbs, two cities, and out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishon and her suburbs, and Debera and her suburbs, and Jarmuth and her suburbs, and Inganim with her suburbs, four cities, and out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with her suburbs, Abdon with her suburbs, Helkath, Helkath, it's almost like a car, with her suburbs, and Rahab with her suburbs, and out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with the suburbs, to be a city of refuge for the slayer, Hamoth Dor with her suburbs, and Kartam with her suburbs, three cities, all the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their suburbs. Now, up to this point in our study, there's been something interesting that I don't know that you've picked up on so far. There has been a pattern that God has been revealing to us, and he has used the cities of refuge, the main things, every point that we've taken from the last few messages, the city of refuge has been extremely important in each allotment. And what it's done is it's pointed us to a deeper spiritual thing that God wants us to understand. 
Remember with the Aaronites, right? There was the city that was a city of refuge, which was Hebron. That was the key city that we looked at. And what did we learn about Hebron? Hebron was a city that was specifically given to Caleb. Caleb was a man who, who wholly followed the Lord. He had been rewarded with the city. This was the desire of his heart. And what we saw with Caleb was this amazing picture of a heart of surrender and a heart of service where this thing that he loved, that he wanted so bad, when it came time and God said, hey, listen, I know I gave it to you, but now I want you to give it away, he let it go. He let it go. He revealed to us and, and taught us a lesson about, listening our willingness to let go of the things of the world in honor of God. Amen. That's the picture that Caleb showed us through Hebron. But then we went to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the, the Kohathites that remain. And what was interesting with them? was they were given the city of Shechem, which was the city of refuge. And what was interesting was we looked up the meaning of that, of that word. Shechem translates shoulder. And we know for the Kohathites that remain that God specifically said, you will carry your burden, the one that will risk your lives for, you will carry that burden upon your shoulders, right? You will make it personal. This faithful service performed by these Levites display their hearts towards God, a willingness to put their lives on the line for His glory. And what we're going to see today is, again, that pattern is going to continue. We're going to look at the cities of refuge to guide our understanding. Now, what we're going to see as we do this, and we go back and look into our scriptures, I want you to pay attention. Notice the, the, the Gershonites are going to be rewarded. Instead of receiving just one city, each of the other Levitical tribes has only received one city of refuge. These guys are unique. They receive two. And you'll understand why in a little while. Notice verse 27 identifies Golan in Bashan as the first one. And then verse 32 identifies Kadesh in Galilee. Now, what I first want us to do is understand kind of where these cities are located, just to kind of give us a geographical understanding. Miss Cindy loves maps, so of course I had to put a map in here. Um, so what you're going to see, this is Golan right here. And what you see is this is the Jordan River, okay? This is the dividing line between the promised land and what would be actually technically considered to be the wilderness. So here we have Kadesh. This is in the promised land. And we have Golan. This is outside of the promised land, okay? And that's going to make sense uh, when you get a little further along. But recognize the fact that at this point in time, that's all I want you to understand. One is in the promised land. One is outside the promised land. Well, what I want to do now is shift over to who the Gershonites are. Okay, let's look at why it is and understand what it was intended for them to be. Number, the first point is this, that they were to be an image of holiness. An image of holiness. Now, these children of Gershon were Levites. They were appointed to care for to assemble and care for and take care of and transport the fabrics, the tapestries, and the skins that would make up God's holy tabernacle, okay? Verse uh, Numbers 24, or Numbers 4, verse 24 says this, this is the service of the families of the Gershonites to serve and for burdens. Okay, so this is their personal responsibility God has given them. Now, I've got a picture I want to show you. <clears throat> there you go. Okay, so this is a representation. This is built somewhere in the Middle East. But this is an actual full-size representation of the tabernacle. And what's interesting is I'm going to read you the scriptures. And what you want you to pay attention to is everything we're going to read is everything that you would see. If you were standing at a distance and you were looking out and you saw that tabernacle, everything that you would see are the things that was their responsibility. Here are their responsibilities, verses 25 and 26. And they shall bear the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the congregation, his coverings and the covering of the badger skins. That is, above, that is above upon it, 
and the hanging for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the hangings of the court. So he's talking about the main sanctuary area, all that's, that's the first part they're covering. Then they're actually carrying all the court, that entire outside area. That's what he's talking about now. The hangings of the court and the hanging for the door of the gate of the court, which is by the tabernacle and by the altar roundabout and their cords and all the instruments of their service and all that is made for them. So shall they serve. So virtually every single thing that would, you would see that you could identify with your eyes and say, hey, there's the tabernacle. That's their responsibility. Right? So the image that they are to display, right? they are a representation of what it is that's going to be seen of God. Right? Think about it. Did we see a connection here? Yeah. Right? When we travel in the world, when people look. Because recognize, if you were off in the distance, when they would set up the tabernacle, it's interesting, and when they have small towns, the very first thing that would be built back in the day was they would build the church. And then what they do is they build the town around it. Well, guess what? The reason why they do that? It's because if you go back into Hebrew history, guess what they would do? They would go, they'd find the location, God would say, this is where the tabernacle goes. And they go, okay, set up the tabernacle, and guess what? Everybody's tents, boom. North, south, east, and west, man, and dead center of the whole thing was the tabernacle. So it was a representation of God in the midst of God's people. And so everything that was seen is their responsibility. So what we find is the fact that this is extremely important. This is the tabernacle, remember, translates dwelling place. Dwelling place, that's what a tabernacle is. And it was not only the most holy thing on the earth, but it was the place where the God of heaven would come down to earth to dwell with mankind. Exodus 29, 43 says this, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. It is going to be unique and special, the most special thing on the planet, so holy that I personally will come down to earth its significance cannot be overstated it is incredibly important and so here the children of Gershon are entrusted with the care of its appearance the way it would be seen by everyone who came and looked upon and looked in the distance that was their responsibility everything that was to be seen now can you just imagine if they did not take their job seriously can you imagine they're just like gathering it up, and they're just dragging them along. Just dragging through the mud. And some guys are walking on it. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yep, get off the tabernacle there. Sorry. Catching on rocks, and he's like, instead of getting, he's just like, just, just rip it. Right? They're using it as a tablecloth when they sit down to eat. You got butter and juice all over it. Can you imagine? We would never in a million, zillion, trillion years imagine that that would take place. If they left pieces behind as they were traveling, that's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. How do you think that would go over with God? Probably pretty poorly. I would imagine there'd be some lightning bolts and some holes around, right? <laughs> so, so we imagine this. And we go, man, what's, why? Because God specifically, explicitly told them that this was to be a representation of holiness. He said, what you're doing is you're going to create something on earth that's going to be a representation of heaven itself. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 who serve under the example and shadow, listen, shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Here's God's instructions. Right before he got started, he said, this is what you need to make sure. Pay attention, Moses, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. I let you see heaven itself, and I want a representation of that on the earth. It needs to be holy beyond holy. 
the tabernacle is a representation of God's whole heavenly abode on earth. It was the way that God facilitated him coming down and communing with humanity for over 400, 400, 400, over 400 years. It sat in Shiloh, and it was, that was the place where they would function, and they would commune with God. And then what happened was Solomon built a temple, and they built that temple, and guess what? That then became the home of God, and that for over 900 years, that's where they would meet until, until God had a different tabernacle in mind, right? One that came to earth as a child. Where God came to commune with us. You know what Emmanuel translates? God with us. God wanted to commune with humanity and He came to earth. And for 33 and a half years, He walked with us. He loved and He cared for and He cried and He died. And then the tabernacle was good in other form. And God shifted things. And guess what the tabernacle became? Listen to Paul explain it to us in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Hello? Which temple ye are? And so if following salvation, the temple of God, the holy tabernacle, is us, how's our appearance? How's our appearance? How much do we care for this temple? Now, certainly, I'm not talking about physically per se, but we should care. We should take care of ourselves. We should look appropriate to the nation. We shouldn't look like the world. We should be different. Right? We should be a representation of holiness. But really, spiritually, what's more, this is what's important. Spiritually, how do we appear? What do people see when they look at our lives? What is the world impacted by? What does our spiritual life display to those that are looking? Because I can promise you, if someone knows you're a Christian, they are looking. They are watching intently looking for those spots, for those wrinkles, for those blemishes, for those juice stains and the butter marks. They're looking for the mess. And see, we understand with the Gershonites why it was so important, why they were responsible. This was God's dwelling place, for goodness sakes. This was the God of the universe. So they were making certain that it was worthy of Him. You see, their concern was holiness. That's the whole thing. But the problem is, Guess what? That's God's concern for us as well. Amen. Right? What does he say? 1 Peter 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He's saying every part of your life, guess what? It should be holy. This is the command. This is the command to you and I. But how many Christians today are focused on holiness? Sadly, most people today that claim to be followers of Christ, if they were Gershonites, would show up to the new campsite with a shambled mess of tangled, shredded, and filthy coverings to put together the tabernacle. It would be a disgrace. A disgrace. See, the Lord will return one day. How do we want to be found? The Bible says we're supposed to be spotless. A bride, right? A bride that comes. Why does a bride wear white? Because she's supposed to be a representation of holiness. That's the whole thing. So God's saying, listen, when I return, I want my bride to be white. I want her to be holy, washed with the Word. I want her to be on fire for me. I want to have a, a soul, a, a, a singular heart. Yeah. And you know what we have? We have a world full of people that want to claim to be Christians. The problem is, the night before the wedding, you know what they're doing? They're going to Waffle House. And they're eating in their wedding dress. And they got syrup dripped all over it. 
They go to McDonald's after that. They eat a cheeseburger. They got a cigarette butt burn over here. They live a mess. So the night before the wedding, they're so busy living in the world that when the, when the day comes and they show up for that day, that wedding day, they're covered in IHOP. Their wedding dress is dripping with muck. How do we want to find, how, does our, how do we want our Savior to find us? And we're supposed to live in on, every day, cleansing ourselves, washing of the water of the Word of God to make us holy before the Lord. It's a challenge. It's difficult, but man, we can do it through the power, the power of God. Yeah. Christian wants God wants us to be a, as a Christian, a display of holiness that His gracious love, that His mercy would be reaching out to the world. Listen to Paul as he talks about the image we're to fulfill in 1 Corinthians fifteen verses forty-eight through forty-nine. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Listen, if you're from the world, you look like the world. You don't know any different. That's just who you are. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Verse 49, and as we have borne the image of the earthy. Man, we've looked like the world. We've all been there, every one of us. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, that's certainly true when we'll be in heaven. But you know what? We're supposed to be doing it now. We're supposed to represent him now. Are we bearing the image of God to the world? This is the question that should resonate in our hearts. It should be something that, that compels us yeah. to change our behaviors, to recognize the failures in our walk. And then there's another aspect of this expectation that God has for the Gershonites, and this is really cool. And it's the way that he tries to help them to succeed mm-hmm. in what it is he asked of them. Check this out, Numbers chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle. Here we go, ready to roll. And had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof. Both the altar and all the vessels thereof had been anointed them and sanctified them. So they got everything set up, everything sanctified and ready. And guess what? Now comes the offerings. Here come the, the, the leaders of the Israelite houses. And the princes of Israel, heads of the houses of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were, that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons, 12 oxen, and a wagon for two of the princes, for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, and they may be to the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt give them unto the Levites to every man according to the service. Now, you imagine if you were bringing your offering, and you brought it in your car, and God was like, Yeah, yeah, unload the offering, and you just leave the car as well. And you're like, What? Okay, because <laughs> that's what happened. They brought their offering, and God's like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll take your offering, but we'll also take your carts as well, and your oxen, by the way. So notice this. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave to, unto the sons of Merari, according unto their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And we'll understand why the, the Merari got more, uh, more carts next week. But remember, and then remember the, the Kohathites. Remember from last week? This is what they got. But unto the sons of Kohath, he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belongeth unto them, was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Theirs was a personal responsibility. But God says, hey, I'm going to facilitate. I'm going to make it so possible. So now you have a way to transport these things that I'm asking you to care for, to keep clean, to keep safe. You've now got carts that you can place them on to make sure you can do the job that I'm asked of you. How good that God makes provision for people to fulfill what he asks of them. And guess what? He's done the same thing for us. God has given us provision, right? He placed his Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us, to convict us, to instruct us, to comfort us on the journey of life. He walks with us through the adversities that we face. 
He's given us His Word to reveal Himself to us and show us who it is that we are supposed to be. We're not going through life aimless, hoping we can figure it out. God says, hey, by the way, I wrote it all down for you. Every single word, I wrote it down and I preserved it through time so that one day you would have it in your hand. How amazing. We have been given all that we need to succeed. God is so good, is He not? Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. So here we go. We've addressed the image of holiness. Next, and I'm trying to be on time today because the food's going to be set up and we're going to rock and roll. Here we go. Next, let's consider the audience for holiness. And the guy that's doing our food today, guess what his name is? Joshua. How appropriate is that? Amazing. It's meant to be. And it's here that I want us to revisit what I mentioned earlier, right? I want us to talk about what we saw in that map, those cities of refuge. And this is going to all start to come together as we see this. Now, we can see that there is one. Look at the map real quick. You see there's one in the land of Naphtali, and this is inside of the promised land, and this is the city of Kadesh, okay? Then there's the other located in the land of the half-tribe of Manasseh, technically still the wilderness. This is the city of Golan. And if we think back to what it is that we have learned as we've been working our way through this and we've understood, what do we know? We understand that those that are in the promised land are those that are within the will of God. And we know that those are outside of the wilderness or outside of the, of the, of the, of the what do you call it? Promised land, there you go. Is representative of those who are outside of God's will. And then just to drive it home a little bit further to make sure that we do not miss what God wants to see us, then we're going to look at the names of these two individual cities. And this is cool. Notice this. The names of the cities. Kadesh, which is inside of the will of God. If you translate the name Kadesh, it translates holy place. And if you go to Golan, which is in Bashan, outside of God's will, and you translate what it means, it means captive. So one is holy place and the other is captive. You see, God wants His holiness displayed not only to those who are in His will, but those who are outside of His will as well. Right? These locations, the burden that the Gershonites were responsible for, the meanings of these cities, they are not by accident. God is simultaneously teaching us multiple things at multiple levels. The Bible is designed to teach historically, devotionally, and doctrinally. It's teaching us big, massive principles, but they're all simultaneous in the same stories. But listen, if we don't pay attention, we'll miss it. We'll read through these verses and go, yeah, 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 they got some cities. Okay, cool. What's next? That's what I did the first time I read it. I was like, man, let's roll on through here. This is a little dry. But if we take the time to dig and we take them to look, guess what? There's something there. Bonus. Or bonus. I'm not, there's no bonus. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> if you can rec- remove that from the recording, I don't know what bonus even means. I don't know why I said that. I have no clue where that came from. Anyway, the word I was going to say was Romans, which is not bonus, even close. The letters aren't even the same. Anyway, Romans 15, verse 4. It says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, check this out, okay, those things that are written in the Bible, the things in the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. God says, hey, listen, all those things that you don't think are important, they're all important. I want you to read them and understand there's something in there for you. Right? So every time we go and we don't find it, Sometimes we need to go circle back and read it again and read it again and read it again. Mark Trotter taught me that if you're going to preach it. And I miss Mark. He said, if you're ever going to preach a passage, you read it 50 times before you do anything else. I'm telling you, if you just read it over and over and over and over again, it starts to leap off the page and things start to rise up. And you go, there's a word that I, oh, look, that, that's, re, that, that, there's a pat, uh, uh, and it starts to come to life. And the Holy Spirit starts going, you do the work, and guess what? I'll guide you. Awesome. Mm -hmm. 
man, I love it. <clears throat> man, sorry about my voice. All right. You see, this story directly links to the call God's given us to shine as lights in the world, right? Where we see here, like the Gershonites in the promised land, can be a great encouragement to those who are walking with God. Man, they could be a great encouragement because people would see that thing and they go, man, stay on course. What did Moses do for Joshua? Listen to this in Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8. Before Moses dies, this notice this, he says, he says, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not. Nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them. And thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. Oh, man, he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Do not be freaked out because guess what? God's with you. You walk through the darkness, he's there. You walk through the fire, he's there. You walk through the water, he's there. Amen. Praise God. No matter what we go through, he'll be with us. Amen. Never leave us nor forsake us. And then listen to this exhortation that Paul gives to the church in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 55 through 58. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Guess what? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Hey, that ain't my problem no more. Amen. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through, the Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For he says, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, just keep doing what's right. And when the world opposes you, keep doing what's right. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Don't quit. And you see, the consistency of our walk with God in conjunction with our testimony allows us to strengthen those who are walking with God, Amen. empowering them to be more. Mm -hmm. And we're to do this in the lives of other, other believers. It's important because can I tell you that everybody needs encouragement? I don't care how great their faith are. Man, there are some people just one day they're going to need to be encouraged. And when they're weak, you know what? Hopefully we're strong. Hopefully we're working on our holiness. We're being in a consistent testimony in their life where we can speak to them and say, Hey, brother, don't give up. Hey, sister, get up off the, get up off the bench. Get back in the game. You can do this. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Don't. Don't quit. Don't quit. It's so important to encourage others spiritually because you know what? The fruit of the Spirit, the Lord starts to shine through us. And it's not us that does it. It's God who ministers through us. This is key. Because recognize, there are those that are walking with God and you know what? They'll need encouragement. But there are also others that are not walking with God. They're struggling, right? People that find themselves in their own, in their own golan, in their own captivity, right? Perhaps captive to, to depression, anxiety, right? Anger, uh, bitterness, addiction, fear, lust, insecurity, brokenness. Put in whatever fits. People are dealing with things right now. There are believers who are struggling they love the Lord. They want to walk with God. But man, you know what? Their flesh is weak. And they fall and pray. And you know what? Instead of judging that person, our job is to restore them. Restore them. Love them where they are and help them. 
And you know what? We can be an encouragement, but we must be consistent in order to help somebody out of a ditch. You've got to be a light in order to help somebody in the darkness. If you're both stumbling in the darkness, you'd be like the Pharisees where Jesus called them blind guides. Two blind people leading each other in the darkness. Well, good luck with that one. Gracious. He said, no, no, no. You must be able to see. Because what happens is, what happens certainly with, with believers, they should understand there is an option. Recognize as believers, if we fall prey to sin, if we find ourselves in a mess, we get caught up in bitterness, anger, frustration. It's our choice. Because you know what? God gives us the power to come out of these things. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Do not, the Bible says, do not give place to the devil. The power the devil has in my life is based upon my permission for him to have it. We can submit ourselves to God and drive him out of our life, or we cannot submit to God, and guess what? He will come a-running. Right? So there's the realization for those that are saved, but recognize for lost people. Well, they don't have the options. They don't even understand that there's another option. They're not where they were, where they are because they want to be, but it's because they don't realize there's another option for them. If you see, the, eve, the, the enemy of humanity has done a remarkable job of hiding the reality of who God really is behind convincing lies of who He is not. Most of the people that you will meet that oppose God do not actually even understand who He really is. They have some created, man-made version of who God is. And you know what? He's easy to hate. Yes, I, would, I hate that one too. But the real God, the true God, the one that's from the Bible, man, you can't but love Him because you know what? He's shown time and time again not only His grace, but His love for humanity. Amen. You remember whenever Jesus was confronting some Pharisaic uh, believers or some religious Jewish men, and this is what He said about Satan's power. He says this, He says, Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you're of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is referencing Genesis chapter number 3, introducing death, and abode not in the truth. He was a liar from the beginning, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so children of God, listen, if we are to, be, uh, to reach those that are consumed in the, in, the, in the captivity of Satan's lies, we must do it with the truth. There's only one thing that can erase a lie, and it's the truth. And we interact with people to share that truth. Earlier in the same dissertation or the same uh, confrontation, Jesus says this in 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from captivity of whatever lie people have believed. People are consumed in darkness, and they can see nothing outside of that darkness. And see, if we're honest with our relationship with God and we're sincere in our representation of Christ, well, then God's Spirit can minister through us. And then just like a, like a light to those that are trapped in darkness, our lives can then, listen, become a source of hope for someone else. There are people that are staring off into a void that don't have any clue where to go. And so many times we don't reach out because we're afraid of what they may say to us. What if they're mean? What if they're this? What if they're... No. They're broken. If they respond in anger, it's, you know why? Because they've been hurt. Yeah. Someone who claimed to be a Christian many times, who said they would do one thing or do one other, did something completely contrary. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that are in this church, you all come out of church hurt. Yeah. You've been hurt by some religious experience. And there's a whole lot of people out there who had the same experience, who never had a chance to meet the true God. They saw a religious version in some creation of man, and they were hurt 
terribly and the trust that they tried to open up and give to someone in their life was broken. And they said, you know what? I'm never trying that again. I'll never set myself up again. When people are in relationships and they get hurt by somebody and they go, you know what? That's it. I'm going to die alone. I'll never let anybody close again. And you know what? People have that relationship with God, not him, but a facsimile of him. And so we recognize this. We're going to reach these are in the darkness. Listen to this from Paul. And this is awesome. If this isn't getting fired up, I'm going to do a backflip. No, I'm like, that's not true. I'm not going <laughs> to. Oh, that would be terrible. And I never, never happened. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 11. But if our gospel be hid, listen, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, listen, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Listen, why does he blind them? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, our Lord, Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, he says, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, listen, in earthen vessels, in a fleshly body. We've been given this gift, this light, this power that's inside of us through His Spirit. And He's saying, hey, listen, you've got this opportunity. Listen, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Don't think it's you. Don't think it's you. If God speaks through a message that I preach to you, man, it is in spite of me. Can I tell you that? It's in spite of me. I'm an idiot, and I know it. But God's Word is powerful, and His Spirit can give me guidance to preach to you what He's telling me to do. I'm just trying to surrender, right? We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's talking about? Die to self. Just like Jesus, die to self. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in, your, in our bodies. Listen, a display of Christ. Verse 11. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Listen, we're just dying to self. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh that you as a human being could represent and display the love of God do people see Jesus in us they should they should that's what we're called to if you see it's why we're still here right healing restoration salvation they come from the Lord But see, just like the moon is to the sun, right? Our job is to simply reflect the light and the love of God into the darkness and those that are held captive in it. Philippians chapter 2, I'm almost done. 13 to 15. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Listen to verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Deny yourself and surrender to be used. Verse 15, here you go. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, a true representation of Christ. Where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation on the wrong side of the river, over in Golan, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. This is our challenge from God's word. This is our challenge today. The questions we have to ask ourselves are these. What does my life display to others? And then the other question we need to ask ourselves is, listen, what audience 
has God given us to reach? Who's in your life that your life's supposed to touch? Who's looking on from the darkness, praying for light? God's got a mission for us to accomplish. See, just like the Gershonites, God has given us a specific responsibility to to be a display of holiness to those in God's will and those out of God's will. It can't be any clearer from the Old Testament story of a list of cities. God said, let me show you something. Praise God. The question is, will we receive it? Will it make a difference? I guess we'll find out when we leave. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, so, so much for your word. Thank you, God, for what you've revealed to us. God, thank you for the truths of your word. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would be a display of holiness, that our lives, God, would make a difference in the lives of others, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, listen, right now, Pastor, I am struggling with my image. There are things in this world that are drawing me. There are things that I know that are blemishes on the, on the cause of Christ, and I need to eliminate them. I need to cleanse them from my life. Pastor, would you pray for me right now that I'd have the strength to surrender them into the glory, to the glory of God? If that's you, amen, amen. Raise your hand and say, listen, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Raise them high. Don't be, bold. Don't be scared. Raise them high. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Yes, may we be convicted to change. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God. I'm not sure that I am actually even a child of God. Listen, we're all God's creation, but we're not God's children until we receive the gift of God through salvation. If you're watching this online or listening to it recorded, this is an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. There is no magic prayer and there's no ceremony involved. It doesn't even really even take me. I'm just going to be a guide. But understand, if you want to receive Christ, it's nothing more than realizing that you are lost on your own, that you are in a darkness that you'll never find your way out of. But there is a light through Christ that is reaching out to you. He loves you and he's compelling you to come to him to receive that gift. And as he offers it to you, all you have to do is receive it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here's your chance. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me in your heart and in your mind. And just pray. Because remember, it's not, you're, you're not talking to me. You're talking to God. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm so tired of the darkness. It has worn me down and broken my spirit so many times. With all of my heart, I look to you, realizing that you are the light. From the cross of Christ, you died You were buried, and you were resurrected for me. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bowed.